All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now I'm going to ask Brother Kyle Brooks to come on up here. He's going to help me with a little bit of reading. And once again, I realize I am out of uniform. I get that. And I, I beg your, um, your leniency on me for that. But I just need to keep wearing sweatpants here for a little bit longer till this new hip that I got heals up a little bit more. It'll be, it'll be three weeks tomorrow. And boy, I'm just grateful that they can do stuff like that. You know, back in the old days, they'd hand you a cane and tell you to limp. And then when you couldn't limp anymore, well, then that was just too bad. You were done walking. And so I'm, I'm grateful for what they can do. So I'm wearing these sweatpants with a stripe. That's why I'm not wearing a tie, because I think a tie would look dumb with striped sweatpants and a pair of gym shoes. And yes, I know I'm wearing two different socks. <laughs> I know that. And that's because I've got a compression sock on this one because the swelling has gone from here down to my foot, which if you've ever had this done, you know that's how it works. It, it, it migrates. And so you might say, well, why didn't you put a compression sock on the other foot so they'd match? My answer to that is, have you ever tried to put on a compression sock? <laughs> it's a wrestling match one quarter of an inch at a time. And so once I got the one on it, that was like enough, 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 enough. All right, um, Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to learn some Bible here. We're going to learn some Bible doctrine. And... Um, I, I still think that's an important thing. I, I don't even like to hear people say, well, and, and we as preachers do this all the time, but I, I really think it's a mistake. We'll say, well, I've got a message here that I think is real, this is real practical. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to think about it this way. I think all the Bible is practical. I don't want to relegate certain parts of the Bible as not practical. So we're going to talk... We're going to talk about, do babies go up in the rapture? Do babies go up in the rapture? Now, if you have children, you've probably thought of this before. And uh, you've probably thought, well, of course. It has to be that way. Because, because why? Because it makes sense to us, doesn't it? And it's a very sentimental thought. You say, why do you say it's a sentimental thought? Because it's very unsentimental to think that they wouldn't go with us. That our children wouldn't go with us. Who have not reached the age of accountability. Who have not yet sinned by virtue of transgression. Um, my thought would be this. I wouldn't go out with my wife on a Friday night without the kids having a good babysitter and I'm going to leave the planet for good and leave my kids without a good babysitter. Unthinkable. Therefore, children 
have to go up in the rapture. <laughs> and I get the sentiment. And I share the sentiment. And let me say, first off, I, I believe children of saved people do go up in the rapture. But I think we need more than sentiment as proof. Don't you? I think we need Bible. I think we need Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at the Word of God. And it's going to take more than this morning. We're likely going to venture into this this morning and next week. Because the first thing we want to establish is another thing that people often worry, uh, think about or concern themselves with, maybe even more so than do the little ones go up in the rapture with us that are saved. Uh, where do little babies go when they die? Now again, <clears throat> look, how many of you understand that everybody gets preached into heaven at every funeral? Huh? I mean, have you ever been to a funeral where the preacher stood up and said, this guy went in the down elevator. <laughs> okay? Now, I haven't preached too many funerals for lost people. I've preached a handful. You say, what do you do with those? I don't preach them into heaven. Okay? Especially if I don't think there's any evidence that they went there. I don't preach them into heaven. I just don't talk about where he went. I preach to the people that are there. And I tell them how to get saved. And, but so often, people are just under the assumption that God is sentimental, so the babies definitely go to heaven. Now again, I'm gonna tell you up front, I believe they do. But why do we believe that? Because we think God is as sentimental as us. Do you see what we're doing when we do that? It's idolatry. It's just like the person that says, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to what? Hell. All right? You know what that is? That's sentimentalism. And that's humanism. And in the end, it's idolatry. I've created a God in my mind that would and wouldn't do certain things. And therefore, he can't and won't. Well, I'm here to tell you, let me rattle your cage a little bit here before we even get started. When God flooded the earth, when God flooded the earth, there were a lot of babies that died. Fair statement? I don't know what the demographics of the world were at that time. I'm told that the population was much less. I'm sure that's true. But was it all Sinners above the age of 18 or 21 or 35, <coughs> there were babies that were taken in the flood because there, there were only eight people that survived, those that were on the ark. So we need to look and see what does the Bible say. <coughs> so... Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is going to be a little repetitious for some of you that were in Sunday school and heard that great lesson that Brother Han brought. Wasn't that a blessing? We shall see him face to face. What will that be? 
What will that be? What a day that will be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Brother, give it to us down to verse 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The blessed hope we're told in the book of Titus. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. So for the believer, the return of Christ is the blessed hope. But, but I, have, I have talked to young couples with little children, and, and I understand where they're coming from, that were questioning whether their little children would go up with them who have not received Christ as Savior consciously, and so they're not saved, but we would say they're safe. And we'll take a look at that. In fact, most of this gets settled in the book of Romans. And so what happens is the blessed hope in their mind turns into a holy curse. And therefore, we need to understand what the Bible says. Now, there are some parallel principles between the idea that little babies who die before this age of accountability, whatever that is, and by the way, the Bible doesn't give us that age. But it does, it does point to the idea that there's a time where until we've transgressed, We've not reached it yet, and we'll show you that in the book of Romans. But uh, there are some parallel principles between that and the idea of the little children going up to be with the Lord when he comes back to take us. So for that, let's start out in the book of Romans, and let's go to Romans chapter 4. And Romans chapter 4, go ahead and give us verse 15, brother. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Okay, I want you to notice that word transgression. That's an important thing. Now, we know that little children, all of us for that matter, are sinners. Why do we know this? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? The fact that that little baby has the ability to die means this baby is a sinner by nature. But something that a little baby doesn't do or someone without the mental capacity to understand, and we all understand what that's about as well, there is no law to them. They don't comprehend it. Therefore, they have not transgressed. Okay? 
Now you can take that little one and as they begin to get the, the different stages of life sure coincide with mobility, don't they? Uh, that little one, when you bring them home from the hospital, they can't crawl. They can't hardly even roll around. But eventually they learn how to do that. You put them in one spot in the crib and then you come back a little while later and they've roll to the other side of the crib. That's mobility. Then they start to crawl. Then they start to walk. And that's when your whole house changes. <laughs> okay. Some people put everything on sky hooks. Some people put, you know, uh, uh, cupboard, cupboard locks and things like that. And then eventually there's the encounter with the stove. <laughs> okay. And you know, at that age, you can explain to them that it's hot and they shouldn't touch it and they may or may not learn the hard way, but it's not an issue of them obeying their parents per se. They don't comprehend that. So if they touch it when you told them not to, they're not transgressing. Now, when they get a little older and they get those things, it's a different story. So the law works wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That word transgression is important. Look at chapter 5 and take a look at verse 13. Chapter 5, and go ahead and read us uh, 13, brother. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay. Sin is not imputed. Sin is not charged to the credit of. When there is no law. Now the Jews, Paul makes it clear in this portion of scripture, have the written law. And then the Gentiles have the law written on their heart. Let's go to Romans chapter 2 for that. Romans chapter 2 and verses 10 through 15. Romans chapter 2 verses 10 through 15. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now Paul's doing a couple things here. He's explaining some things about, about the accountability of, of all of mankind. He's also dealing with the self-righteousness of his own people, the Jews. And so many of them thought because they had the law that it just, they were automatically in. But Paul's making it clear. He said, look, you've got the law. And then he makes it clear later on they've been breaking it habitually. And then, but he says, but it's the doers of the law that shall be justified. Go ahead, 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Okay, so the culpability of everyone is laid out here. Jew has the written law, the Gentile, that's most of us here, the law written in the heart, and the conscience is the siren. The conscience is the red flag. The conscience is the blinking light. That, that we do get it. 
Because even when we don't know the written law, one of the things that happens with conscience is that in order to try to cover up our own guilt, what do we do? We accuse. We accuse. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Oh, you're saying I did this? Yeah, but look what he did. Look what he did. The deflecting. The Bible's very accurate here about human nature. You see that in the very first sin. I mean, uh, God comes to Adam. What'd you do, Adam? Adam says, talk to her. <laughs> What'd you do, Eve? Uh, talk to that snake. And, and then the snake had nowhere to go. He was stuck. But that's, that's, that's how people do. And, and so the baby, the child before the age of accountability does not grasp these concepts of the law. And let's look at Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about his own personal struggle with the law, his culpability, and then he makes an interesting statement, an interesting statement in verses 8 and 9. Go ahead and read us verses 8 and 9. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. All right, look at verse 8. For without the law, sin was dead. It was dead. Well, when was Paul without the law? He was born into the strictest sect of Judaism. He came up a Pharisee of the Pharisees by his own admission. When was he ever without the law in the sense that it wasn't there? Never. He was without it. He was without it when he was too young to comprehend it. He was not accountable to it by way of transgression yet. And then look what he says in verse 9, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment, what? Came. It, you ever use the expression, it finally came to me? It finally came to him? The commandment came, sin revived, and I what? What's the, next, what's the last word he uses? Died. He died spiritually. He went from being safe in Christ. He went from being safe to needing to be saved. Now you say, what is that age? Religions have tried to pin it down. I, how, many, uh, how many of you uh, were involved in Catholicism at any time of your life? I was, I was raised a Catholic, All right. They use the age of seven. They use the age of seven. Why seven? I don't know. Why not six? Why not eight? Seven. And at seven, you do your, your first confession. That's one of the seven sacraments. You learn how to confess your sins to the priest. He gives you absolution, which is, which is totally outside of the realm of the Bible. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, you know, for a moment, let me just, let me digress for a second. Maybe when I introduced the subject this morning, thought, well, I don't, I don't have any little goomers. How does this apply to me? 
Okay, number one, can you teach it? Can you teach it? If you can't teach it, take copious notes and be able to teach it by the time we're done. Okay? But even more to the point, even more to the point, you, you study church history, you look at religions, you look at denominations, and a misunderstanding of these concepts has wrought all kinds of confusion and heresy and what Paul calls damnable heresies. And why are they called damnable heresies? Because they are, they are mixed into the gospel and they confuse the message of the pure grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so what do we have going on here? Well, we have little babies being sprinkled as I was to get rid of quote-unquote original sin. Okay? That's because of a misunderstanding of these concepts. Uh, Godparents. Godparents. Uh, that's not exclusive to Catholicism. There's other uh, uh, denominations within Christendom that do the same thing. And, and that Godparent supposedly renounces sin for that little child until they can reach the age. Hey, they're safe in Christ. We'll get to this in a little bit. Uh, they're gonna, they have the ability to die for something they didn't do, something Adam did, just like all of us. But they are safe in Christ for something they didn't do either, and that's Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. But with the misunderstanding of these concepts, religion has erected all these superstructures and these exercises to go through that obliterate the truth of the gospel. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so critical. And, and the book of Romans does so much to clear up these things that people get confused about. Um, innocents don't really have a conscience toward God to know good and evil. Adam and Eve didn't until they sinned, until they transgressed. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. It wasn't until they sinned they sowed the fig leaves. We all have a story about a, a sibling or, a, or a, a child that we raised or a grandchild or a neighbor's kid or whatever that, uh, you know, ran off to the park down the street buck naked. Okay? Why do they do that? Because it doesn't even occur to them about their nakedness. What is that? They're, they're, they're still in that state where Adam and Eve were prior to the fall. Babies can die for Adam's sin. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And verses 12 through 14. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Okay. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. 
The baby can die because of what Adam did. The baby is born a sinner because Adam is the federal head of the human race and he passes that on to all of us. But the baby has not yet transgressed because sin is not charged without a knowledge of the law. Verses 18, 19, and 20 now. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's, that's Adam right there. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So in verse 18 and 19, we find out that we all die because of someone else's disobedience. But at the end of verse 19 into verse 20, we find out that little baby is safe in Christ for something else they didn't do. And that is Christ dying on the cross for their sins, being buried and risen again for their justification. Babies are saved by Christ's merits alone in the very truest sense of all cases. And, and I also believe, I also believe that those that are mentally incapable fall into this category as well. And, and, and don't you love the mercy of God in these things? Don't you love the mercy of God in these things? Uh, folks, I, I believe ab abortion is deplorable. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, I'm hoping Roe v. Wade goes down in flames. And I hope at least states like ours can decide not to have abortion. But I am grateful for this one thing. Those little babies that were murdered before they had a chance at life are with the Lord in heaven. Uh, I'm glad for that. And, and, uh, and you, you, may, you may or may not believe I'm telling you the truth when I say this, but a lot of hardcore Calvinism, a lot of hardcore Calvinism in their theology, not all, but those that are hardcore suggest that the baby goes to hell. And it, and it died early simply because it wasn't one of the elect, and that's up to God, and he can do that as he, if he wants. But folks, I, I don't believe the Bible teaches us that. I, I, I believe God's just. I believe God's just. You know, you go to Romans chapter 2, and, and we'll go there later on, uh, probably next week, but you go to Romans 2, and, and Paul talks about, talks about those with or without the written law are without excuse. Folks, a baby is not without excuse. They didn't understand. A person that's short mentally, that doesn't have the capacity, they have an excuse. They don't understand. Revelation 20, they're judged according to their works before they're cast into the lake of fire, the loss that is. These babies don't have any works to be judged by. They are safe in Jesus Christ. Do you see the mercy of God in this? 
But it's not about, well, you know, I just really think God would do that because I really love my baby, therefore God. You know what? God loves your baby more than you do. Okay, but the fact that you sentimentally default back to a God that will always be nice is not proof that they're going to heaven. Know what the Bible says. Amen? Know what the Bible says. It's important that we do. All right. Now, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, for, for these things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition. So let's go there, and let's look at some examples that, again, point to the innocent. Point to the innocent. And 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and verse 23. And the context of this story is when David sinned with Bathsheba and a baby was born that, that God pronounced judgment upon in this case because of David's sin. And I believe more so than anything else that that, that child would have been a, a testimony to the adultery. And you remember Nathan said that David had given the enemies of God a what? An occasion to blaspheme. And so this child's going to die, and David fasts and begs God and prays, and then, and then the baby ends up dying anyways, and, 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 we, and we are here at verse, verse 23. Go ahead and read it for us. But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Okay. I shall go to him. Once the baby was dead, he quit fasting. His servants were puzzled by that. And he, he gave this explanation. But he said, I can't bring the baby back. He's gone. But I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to him. People ask, people ask me, do you have any grandkids? And I, and I tell them, yes. I says, I've got 11. And the three perfect ones are in heaven. I've got 11. And the three perfect ones are up in heaven. And some of you this morning, some of you this morning are going to be reunited with those perfect ones. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a wonderful thought? So, so David gives us an insight here. Uh, let, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Or as the kids always say, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. It gets them tongue-tied. And verses 34 through 40, brother. 34 through 40. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and was wroth, and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men, men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou also shalt not go in thither. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. 
But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. All right. So the Lord has told him, you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation that refused to go into the promised land dies off. But those little ones, as he called them, and, and what's the important feature here in verse 39? Notice, notice this phrase. That had no knowledge between what? Good and evil. Between good. In other words, it wasn't their choice not to go into the promised land. Just like it's not a baby's choice to get aborted. <laughs> How about that one? Maybe the people so interested in choice should worry about the baby's choice. But it wasn't a child's choice not to receive Christ. It wasn't a person with limited uh, mental capacity's choice not to receive Christ. And God in his mercy says this bunch will go in. And and so we have a strong principle here. And and in winding it up uh, this morning, because like I said... This is the basis of where we're going to go next week when we talk about the rapture. And, 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 and I'm, just going to, I'm just going to throw this out at you. I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. But uh, maybe you can do a little studying on your own. I, I believe this. Now, I can't prove it dogmatically. There are things that point to it. There's things that point to it. There are some things that we wish God would have just given us a verse for. And spelled it out. But he didn't with that. But there's a lot of things that point to it. And you know what it looks like it points to? It looks like the children that have not reached the age of accountability of saved people go up with their saved parents at the rapture. Or if they have at least one saved parent. And the children of the lost stay with their parents, not unlike the flood. We'll take a look at all the reasons why, and you might want to start searching the scripture, and if you're scratching your head a little bit, uh, maybe that'd be a good idea, and we'll look at that next week. But we see God's mercy in this. We see God's mercy. This was written on a tombstone in the UK. It says, bold infidelity. Turn pale and die. Beneath the sod two infants lie. Say, are they lost or are they saved? If death is by sin, they sin for they are here. And if heaven is by works, then in heaven they cannot appear. Ah, reason, how depraved. Turn to the Bible's holy pages. And there the knot is untied. They died for Adam sinned, but they live because Jesus died. Don't we serve a great God? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you've got all the bases covered. You've got all the solutions to all the problems before we even knew there was a problem. But Father, for those here this morning that have had to put one of those tiny little caskets into the ground, who've experienced that sorrow, 
Father, may we rejoice this morning knowing that they're experiencing unimaginable bliss. Knowing, Lord, they're waiting for us. Knowing, Lord, they're wondering what we're so worried about with the matters of this life. Knowing, Lord, that they escaped a lot of nonsense, really. Looking at it that way and understanding that you're sovereign, but you're providential as well. And you have provided for these situations where sin has complicated life, death has been brought into the picture, and it was never part of the original plan. Well, we thank you for great provision. We thank you for your mercy. And help us as we study this word to go forth from this place today and tell others about a wonderful Savior, a merciful God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 627 as we sing together. Let's stand and sing. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day, that will be. I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day, that will be. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace that you've extended to us, guilty sinners, that we've fallen. And even when we're unable, you still call to us. And thank you for the promises that you've given us. I pray that this week we'd be 
uh, looking for the opportunities, those divine appointments that you give us every week, that we'd look for them to share the truth and the hope of your gospel. Bless us this week. In your name we pray. Amen.